You'll note that our scripture reading is found in Romans um, chapter 8, verses 5 through 17. You all have your program. I want you to turn to the back page. And you can um, watch while I read it. Um, It's an interesting translation. It's from the New Living Translation. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and spirit and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him... Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Pastor will bring us our sermon, the Holy Spirit, and our spirituality. I appreciate being able to get a little closer to you, just like Dean. Dean has such an interesting lesson, always. Don't you enjoy that class that are here? Always. Oh my, these words are so tiny in these Bibles. I don't know if I'll be able to read what I see in front of me here. But anyway, I'm talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in our spirituality this morning. And in my mind on this topic, this is the foremost thing that every Christian must learn. 
that we have got an amazing helper that will help us. I think I'm okay. Thanks for that. Thank you. If I, if I need it, I'll call for it there. Thank you very much. Uh, the Holy Spirit is promised to each one of us to take a look at Luke 24 with me. Uh, Gospel of Luke 24, <clears throat> verses 44 to 49. Luke 24, verse 44 to 49. I have it print large right here so I can read it. Okay, I'm yeah, getting the help that I need. <clears throat> Luke 24, verse 44 through 49. Jesus said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Skipping down. Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem and you are witnesses of these things. And then the next, listen to what it says there. Behold, what is he going to send to us there? Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from where? So he is basically saying, I am not going to leave you alone. You are not to live and, and, and be Christians on your own. I am giving you the help that will enable you to be successful at this. And what help was that? It was the Holy Spirit. Very important. The Bible records at least three transfers of authority similar to the transition between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Do you remember when Moses transitioned his authority to Joshua? And there was a similar amount of power that the people saw in Joshua as in Moses. And that was necessary. Do you remember when Elijah was taken off of the earth? He needed to have a successor, Elisha. And Elisha needed to have similar manifestation of the power of Elijah operating in him in order to carry forward the work. Did God do that? So there was a transition of authority and power. That went from Moses to Joshua and Elijah to Elisha. And what about John the Baptist? There was the power transition from John the Baptist and the authority from him went right to Jesus. And you remember it was the Holy Spirit descending as a dove confirmed in John the Baptist that this indeed was the Messiah. And so God does transition. And in this transition from Jesus to his disciples... It was, it was impossible for them to do what they were being commissioned to do without receiving what? They needed that power. And not only to them, but to us as well. This Holy Spirit is necessary. Uh, all of these transitions that we talked about took place at the, by the River Jordan, interestingly enough. Did you realize that? Uh, after uh, Jesus' death, for 10 days, the disciples prayed continuously after his ascension uh, until the Feast of the Pentecost. Then Peter stood up to preach. And what happened to Peter? You've got to remember Peter. Who was Peter? What kind of a character was he? What kind of credentials did Peter have? Was Peter going to function on Peter's own power and be of any good to anybody? 
Not according to what Peter had demonstrated so far. In fact, at one time, he was so much on the opposite side, Jesus said to him, get thee behind me. <laughs> you know, And so what you have is that Peter stood up to preach in the Acts chapter 2. And look at this, Acts 2, 37 to 39. Acts 2, 37 to 39. He said to the people, men and brethren, what shall we do? Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. Peter preached. He preached with such power. The Holy Spirit was so evident that the response was, what shall we do? They heard him preach. They were so affected by what he was saying. Because why? Exactly. Don't think that this was happening by Peter's own power. The power of the Lord just swooped in and just spoke through Peter in such a powerful way that everybody's heart was turned and convicted and they were changed. Uh, it reminds me of the time when the Holy Spirit came in this church a long time ago when I was in this baptistry back here and the Holy Spirit just filled the room and it just didn't seem like there was going to be an end. When you have an experience like that, it's quite profound. People to this day remember, who are here, remember that experience. It was quite profound. And so they said to Peter, what shall we do? And Peter replied to them, and this is what he says. Listen to it carefully. Acts chapter 2, 37 to 39. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And then what does it say after that? And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then what does it say? For the promise is to you and to your... Ch- what promise? That's what it says. Jesus talked about this. The promise is to them and do, to their, your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So God has never, ever intended that we carry on this work by our strength and by our power, but it's by God's Spirit. He wants to indwell in us. He wants to do what he did for Peter, that somehow that Peter and, and the Spirit became one. And amazing things came out. The Spirit was able to draw from Peter the things that the Spirit needed to. Peter was necessary. But Peter was transformed by the Spirit in the process. And everybody else as well was transformed. And so, remember, spirituality and the Holy Spirit. Can you have one without the other? The Holy Spirit in a person's life yields spirituality. Spirituality invites the Holy Spirit in and just really blesses. And that's what we're talking about. We receive the Holy Spirit the moment we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. How many in this congregation today have received the Holy Spirit in your life? All right, let me ask another question. How many of you have accepted Jesus Christ in your life and given your heart to him? Now, hold your hands up. I didn't tell you to put them down. You've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart and been converted. Leave your hands up. If you put them up, leave them up. Now I want to ask you the same question again. Keep your hands up. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you? It's the promise. It's the promise. You've got the Holy Spirit in your life. And so God is giving you the power to be able to do the things that are impossible for you to do on your own. That's God's decision. 
He took these very, very unworthy men called disciples and they were filled with problems. But when the Holy Spirit came in, these men were changed. And the church was changed. So if you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, the promise is yours, the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus coined a Greek word when describing the Holy Spirit. He used the word paraclete. And it simply means one who is called, one who is alongside. And so it just basically means the Holy Spirit is someone who is called to be along beside us. And we need to remember this everywhere we go, that the paraclete, God's special representative, the one who has all the power that heaven can bestow, is where? Right along beside, wherever we go. Whoa. Well, anyway, paraclete, comforter, counselor. It appears four times in this section of John. And in each one of these sections, it talks about dwelling with the disciples, representing Christ to them, instructing them, bearing witness to Christ, and convicting them. So the Holy Spirit has a lot of work to do. Just being near us, to give us comfort, to instruct us, to bear witness to Christ. And by the way, what did Jesus say the Holy Spirit's work was? To reveal Jesus Christ to us. There's a lot of things. Your answer was good too. That to, to, to reveal Jesus Christ to us. Now, I have had this happen in my life, and I'm sure you have as well. That with the Holy Spirit with us, all of a sudden, a new dimension will open up to our thoughts that had never been there before. And suddenly it's with us. And we're reading the Bible or we're just meditating or whatever it may be, the Holy Spirit who's coming along beside just opens up our minds and we can see and understand something we've never understood before. And it is clear and it is powerful. That's the Holy Spirit. And we all have that. The Holy Spirit also has convicted me at times really powerfully. (laughs) You know, and I, I, I don't get uh, much change in my life when I try to convict myself. <laughs> you know, I can wiggle out of that one real easily. But when the Holy Spirit convicts us, that's a, a horse of a total different color. And it's so powerful you cannot escape it. It's really powerful. And oftentimes the Holy Spirit convicts us of stuff that just terrorizes us. He wants us to do something that scares everything out of us. And the Holy Spirit says, this is what I'm calling you to do. Now let me just say this. If the Lord is calling us to do something, are we capable of doing that? Because the one who stands beside is the one who has been commissioned by Jesus to bring all the resources of heaven into our life, right? So whatever he calls us to do, he empowers us to make come true, right? Okay, throughout the uh, Gospel of John, John chapter 1, you can see the active work of the Holy Spirit. It descends from heaven, lights on Jesus, right there in chapter 1, you remember before John. In chapter 3, Jesus speaks to whom? Nicodemus, who should have known about the Holy Spirit. All spiritual leaders must know about the Holy Spirit. 
What is the first word in spiritual? Spirit. Spirit. You know, and, and I am amazed at how often church leaders just simply are operating on some other power than spirit. It's got to be the spirit is in charge. Chapter 3, Nicodemus, he didn't understand. It was, it was hard to comprehend. The disciples found it hard to comprehend when Jesus was talking in chapter 13, 14, well, 14, 15, and 16 about the Holy Spirit. He had to repeat himself over and over and over again because they just didn't get it. I don't know what there is that's so hard about getting this. But the disciples couldn't get it. Nicodemus didn't get it. It's when our denomination, it's when churches throughout this town get the Holy Spirit into their lives and become aware that God has given them the power to do what he has asked us to do, that we're going to see some amazing things happen. Jesus sent 12 individuals out in the world armed with the Holy Spirit, and what did those people do? Twelve. Well, how many Christians are there in Fort Bragg? A lot. Committed Christians. Born again. Holy Spirit is right along beside them. How many Christians are there? You raised a lot of hands here a little while ago. Right in this church. We have more power than the disciples had. Just simply by the fact that the Holy Spirit holds the power, but it has now more numbers than 12 to work with. And we are just still, so much of the time, operating under the limitations of what? Our own spirit rather than the Holy Spirit. God has been working amazingly with me in the last few years of my life trying to break me away from confidence in myself and to rely more and more upon the Holy Spirit. And I praise Him for that. Right now the notes are down here and I haven't paid attention to them. That's basically relying upon the Holy Spirit. I have been so controlled in my ministry where the Holy Spirit wasn't there. It was just a ministry of Stan Kaler. And that's not worth much. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, your lives are going to feel it. The Holy Spirit is going to come vibrantly involved in your own heart. And the Word will minister to you transformation. And amazing things can happen. Way beyond any of us could ever imagine. So John chapter 4, he meets a woman by a well. And they're talking about what kind of water? Living water that springs up and transforms an entire town. Spirituality just consumed this town because the Holy Spirit came visiting through that living water. In John chapter 6, only the Spirit, he says, can bring life. John chapter 7, on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood up and he announced... And can you imagine hearing this from the words of Jesus? He stands before his people that were just about ready to put him to death. And um, they'd had enough of him. Can you believe that? He stands in front of them on the Feast of Tabernacle and announces, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. The Holy Spirit came through Jesus and became a torrent in the lives of people that brought just unbelievable refreshment and peace 
and all of the fruits of the fruits of the Spirit into their lives. Wouldn't you like to have those fruits at all time in your life? They're the fruits of the Spirit. And Jesus has, Jesus has said, you have the Spirit. Very, very important. Well, in John chapter 20, as the book comes to an end, Gospel of John, Jesus does something very interesting. He gathers his disciples together, and you remember what he did? He breathed on them. Very similar to what happened in the Garden of Eden. Breathed into Adam's nostrils and he became a living soul. He became alive. All of his capabilities were now able to function in all of their capacity. And he was able to enjoy life to the fullest. And Jesus takes his disciples, these guys that had so many problems in their lives, they just couldn't get it, you know. And he breathed on them. And they were now able to live to the fullest. Completely. All that they were intended and capable of being in God's eyes. Because he breathed. What did he breathe on them? The Holy Spirit. It was given to them from then on out. It's so amazing to think about this. I, I think I've referred to this before, and I'm going to skip ahead and tell you what I wanted to tell you about that. It's very amazing because Ellen White describes something that is kind of hard to pick up unless you know what she has to say about this. Um, I want to share this with you. This comes from Desire of Ages. If you're taking notes, write this down so you can look it up. Desire of Ages 292-293. Here's her comment. She's talking about what happened when Jesus met with his disciples. This is the uh, ordaining of the twelve. And listen to what Ellen White says. It fits perfectly with what Scripture talks about, but the way she paints it and fills it out is so interesting. Can I just read? At the head of one of the groups of the disciples, there was one named Philip. Divided up into four groups, and each, you know, here's Philip. He was the first disciple to whom Jesus addressed the distinct command, follow me. Philip was of Bethsaida, up on the upper part of the Sea of Galilee, the city of Andrew and Peter. He had listened to the teachings of John the Baptist and had heard his announcement of Christ as the Lamb of God. We're talking about Philip. Philip was a sincere seeker for truth, and he was slow of heart to believe. Jesus called people to serve him who had distinct inherent difficulties. His was slow of heart to believe. Why would Jesus call him? Wouldn't you want to get a whole band filled with powerful people that were just had all cylinders running? <laughs> That's probably true. Although he had joined himself to Christ, yet his announcement of him, Jesus, to Nathaniel shows that he was not fully convinced of the divinity of Jesus. Philip had a problem of really believing. I mean, he was around somebody who did amazing things, and you would think it'd be easy to believe, right? 
But Philip had a hard time with that. Does that sound like anybody you might know? <laughs> All right. Now, this will be encouraging to you. Though Christ had been proclaimed by the voice from heaven as the Son of God, to Philip he was Jesus of Nazareth. It wasn't that much of a stretch for poor Philip to say Jesus, the Son of God. But no, it was Jesus of Nazareth. There's quite a difference <laughs> between those two. Again, when the 5,000 were fed, Philip's lack of faith was shown. It was, to, it was to test him that Jesus questioned, whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Do you ever notice people bait people at times? Jesus was baiting Philip. Why was he baiting him? He wanted Philip to be more aware of the fact of what the Holy Spirit was teaching him, to be more open to listen to it. So he's challenging him. Philip's answer was on the side of unbelief. Whence shall we buy bread that these may... His 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. He couldn't see beyond all of the impossibilities. Can you ever understand God if all you think about is the impossibilities? Can you do that? Because the Holy Spirit is just blocked. We're saying, no, I won't listen to that. So Jesus was grieved. Although Philip had seen his works and felt his power, yet he had not faith. And when the Greeks inquired of Philip concerning Jesus, he did not seize upon the opportunity of introducing them to the Savior, but he went to tell Andrew. I have known people that have this amazing ability just to have amazing belief. And they're out missionary working all the time and they're telling strangers, total strangers about Christ. And they have this unbelievable sense of, of faith, you know, and belief and power. And they're amazing. I'm not quite like that all the time. <laughs> right? In those last hours before the crucifixion, the words of Philip were such as to discourage faith. When Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we know not whether thou goest and how... Can we know the way? The Savior answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If ye had known me, you should have known my Father also. Jesus is appealing to his disciples. I have shown you what you've needed to see. There should be a whole world open up into your mind that you have not been able to comprehend. I and the Father are one. Think about that. From Philip came the response of unbelief, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. He couldn't get it. Slow of heart, so weak in faith, was the disciple who for three years had been with Jesus. He worked with people like us, didn't he? But this isn't the end of the story. I want you to know the end of the story. It gets amazing, the end of the story. If you're thinking, I could identify with Philip, and you can think that, you know, I'm a little bit like Philip, or maybe a whole lot like Philip, and I thank the Lord for keeping me on the team, even though I don't produce very good fruits, you know, if that's what you're thinking, listen to the end of the story. In happy contrast to Philip's unbelief was a childlike trust of Nathaniel. He was a man of intensely earnest nature, one whose faith took hold of unseen realities. 
Yet Philip was a student in the school of Christ, and the divine teacher bore patiently with his unbelief and dullness. And then Ellen White makes a statement so profound. My wife called this to my attention. When the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, it fell upon Peter. It fell upon Nathaniel. It fell upon Philip. It fell upon all the disciples. And what happened to Philip? He was no longer slow of heart, no longer weak in faith. And from that moment on, he went forward and did amazing things for the Lord. That was Desire of Ages 292-293. Yeah, isn't that encouraging? That God can take somebody like that and work those kind of changes. There is just some amazing things that struck me. And I thought when I looked at that, Lord, that's unfair. He didn't deserve that. (laughs) He shouldn't have been given that. You know, you're giving that to an unworthy servant. But the Holy Spirit has the ability to come into our life and make all of those things that are wrong inside of us right. If we're willing to let the Holy Spirit do that. And it made, it made Philip a spiritual man. The Holy Spirit did it. You know, it just came right in and flooded his mind and suddenly what he couldn't understand and couldn't comprehend and couldn't do before, he was able to do. It changed him, made him a total different person. Anybody want to say amen to that? I love my God who can be so unfair as to be so gracious as to give what he did to Philip. I look back occasionally on my life and I realize my life has been on an edge of catastrophe all the way along. And God has kept it from tipping over into total abyss. And I owe so much to him. And he is still able to use this very weak of faith person and come into my life through the gift of what? the promise of the Holy Spirit, and speak through these words and this mind His words. And the Holy Spirit can do some amazing. Jesus said, It's it's expedient that I go away because you will receive something far better. And one is something that's almost more astounding than that, John 14, 12. Those of you that are wanting to look up these verses, John 14, 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Have you been converted? Raise your hand again if you've been converted. Don't be ashamed of this. Raise your hand. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Raise your hand. Have you done the works of Jesus? I guess we have to keep it up there, don't we? Don't we? He that believeth, even he will do the works that I do, but that's not the end. And it says, greater works than these shall he do, 
because I go to the Father. And so for each one of us, our belief in Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done for us indeed makes it possible that our lives can be as productive or even more so than Jesus himself. Out of his own mouth, he said that. Did he not? Those early disciples, 12 in number, conquered the entire Mediterranean world, even as far up into England, down into India, over as far into Iran, places like that, maybe even up into some areas of Russia. Just amazing what they did down into Africa. And the, what period they had left. A lot of them had been killed in a matter of what, 20 years? 20 to 30 years? There was only one that survived into the end of the century. And they turned the world upside down. These unbelieving individuals. That Jesus said, oh, why do, I have to, why do I have to deal with this, you know, talking to them? But look what they did. There's more of us here today than there was then. And so the problem seems to be, I believe that our conversion, just as genuine as Philip's, wouldn't you say? I mean, yeah, there are problems with us. But Jesus accepted Philip's conversion. It wasn't quite the same as Nathaniel. But he accepted him, so our we're conversion, they were converted, it's the same. The difference is one thing, I think. What is it? What makes all of this possible is the Holy Spirit who is right beside us at all times. Very close. Wouldn't it be wonderful when you are talking to people and, the, and, and when you are in relationship to people to have the gift of the Holy Spirit that enables you to understand what's in another person's heart and been able to watch through and sometimes in words that you don't even understand that the words that will come through your mouth will speak right to another person exactly the words that they need to hear. Wouldn't that be wonderful? We have that person right beside us at all times. And we're no worse, no better than Philip. We just have to let the Holy Spirit do its work inside us. And it'll do amazing things. What about if we could understand all of these amazing things, like you were talking about the gentleman with the three PhDs, you know. That three PhD gentleman is put to shame by one person with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that right? Because they may not get the big picture, but the person with the Holy Spirit knows the right picture. And how does it happen? It just suddenly appears inside our head. It's suddenly our emotions are brought into line with where God wants them to be. And people can feel that and they'll respond. The Holy Spirit is really powerful. And of all the things that we might need today, it's more of God's Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm wanting every day in the churches that I pastor, I want the Holy Spirit to be in the, in the building. I want it to be so strong that whatever happens, it is allowed to have full access and to do all that it wants to do in each one of our hearts. I want us to get out of the way 
and make room for the Holy Spirit to come in and be among us. Hover o'er me, Holy Spirit, like the song said. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew. These are the things that are so important for us, and they're gifts to all of us, even greater than what Jesus could do is a possibility for us. Not that I want to be any greater than Jesus. I want to be the least in the kingdom of heaven. But I want Jesus to have full access through me. I've got some grandchildren. And my grandchildren need to be able to sense that with G, that's what they call me. It's a G. The first letter of grandpa. You've heard of Gramps? Well, to me, it's really the shortest form you can get. G. The first one said, you're G. (laughs) And I've been G ever since. And I want them to be able to, uh, more than anything else, than to feel God's Spirit when they're in the presence of G. There's a lot of work to be done. But when I think of what God did through Philip and what he's willing to do through all of us, it is absolutely amazing. Someday I may preach the rest of the sermon, but let's close by Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2. Look at this. Ephesians 1, 3. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all what? (coughs) Spiritual blessings in heavenly places. How do you get those spiritual blessings? Holy Spirit brings them. All spiritual blessing. He is saying that all the armies of heaven, that all the power of heaven that has been turned over to Jesus Christ is now for His church. And the Holy Spirit is the conduit. And the Holy Spirit looks into the heart of Jesus and brings all of those things that we need from Jesus right into our life. We will be changed. Chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Through whom? That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Through Jesus Christ. Through us. That's what it's all about. May God bless us. To begin the day and all through the day, opening up our hearts so the Spirit can abide in us, bringing us heaven, bringing us Jesus, making us powerful. Oh, you know, every day that goes by, we have the option of feeling more weak and more feeble (laughs) and more incapable or of feeling omnipotently powerful as we become small but receptive and filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what God wants to do. Thank you. Lord, what you have done with others down through the ages who have simply allowed themselves, faulty as they are, to be your vessel, please do with us. Use us. Breathe upon us your spirit like you did with those disciples long ago. And may we feel it today, tomorrow, and all through the week, and through all of our life from this day on. 
Help us to experience all that you want us to experience through this amazing promise of the gift of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.